I was raised in a cult. Of course, if you'd have asked me all those years ago or anyone else in our small fundamentalist church if we were a cult, we'd have indignantly replied, absolutely not. Other groups like the Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses, they're cults, but we're not a cult. Everything became normalized, though, but it wasn't until decades later, after I deconstructed my entire belief system and walked away from the Christian faith entirely, that I began to see just how cultish the whole thing actually was. But before all of that, for over 20 years, I'd served both as a pastor and a Bible college teacher, so I had a hand in it, furthering the toxicity also. So in the process of rebuilding my life and discovering my authentic identity, I've got lots to work through, things like religious trauma syndrome, rapture anxiety, and just so much more. Join me, Dr. Clint Haycock, on the Mind Shift podcast as we take a look at such topics as cult tactics and psychology, religious trauma syndrome and religious addiction, taking your life back after leaving a cult or high-control group, and finally, dominion theology and the dangers posed by the Christian right not just in America, but indeed the world. You can find my show on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. Who knows, it might just be time for a mind shift. Episode 107, Stories and Legends. This is Matthew, and in this episode, Andrew and I are joined by David from Skeptics and Seekers to talk stories and legends. We talk specifically about the legends of Bedgellet and St. Non and St. David from the country of Wales. And we discuss what we do and don't find believable in these old stories. Links in the show notes. We also discuss a deliverance experience I had in my 20s. That part of the discussion wasn't planned, and if you find discussion of demons in any way triggering, that section starts at about 40 minutes in and lasts until the one hour mark. On the subject of deliverance experiences, if you are someone who has the skills to explain deliverance from a psychological perspective, I would love to hear from you, and maybe record an episode on the subject, reasonpress at gmail.com. As is usual, when the three of us are on mic together, there are lots of tangents, occasional crudeness and plenty of banter enjoy hello and welcome to another episode of still unbelievable stories and legends and talking of whom one of which one of each david and andrew me old friends we've not been together as a threesome for quite some time well how are you feeling uh, guys uh, guys you can't be putting on my lipstick still a pig mate still a pig <laughs> look man where i'm concerned you're just not gonna believe it so one of the things that i like to do in amongst everything else that i do is i like to check out various christian podcasts and i found the most awesome well awesome being in very relative terms but i'm just can't wait till i hear your guys reaction i found a christian podcast which sadly i'm not getting any value from and i'm gonna have to drop it from my listen feed so i can create space for something else but this this podcast is called the Riot Podcast. And Riot is an acronym. And it's inspired me to rethink maybe rebranding Still Unbelievable. So wait till you hear. Riot stands for the Righteous Insertion of Truth. 
Okay. Okay. I'm I'm just gonna say that that works well on a on a whiteboard on a marking whiteboard, but trying to come up with letters for S T I L L U. No 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 no. You don't get it. I'm gonna use the same format. So I'm gonna call ours the logic insertion of reason. Logic insertion. We're gonna be the liar podcast. The liar podcast. I don't know. Is that spelled differently in the UK? Um, <laughs> I'm um, trying to be funny here, guys. Help me out. Seriously, I can't be that oh, bad. That's what you were trying to do. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. You should have warned me in advance. Uh, Nobody gets advance warning of my jokes, not even okay. my daughter. And that is Look. why she's traumatized and left home. Look, that I uh, the podcast you mentioned, when you said righteous insertion, I just kind of stopped there because I've, <laughs> I've seen this website many times. And, uh, so. So, <laughs> no so cups were involved a, in the making of this joke. <laughs> we call it truth these days. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Maybe just Google uh, righteous insertion right now. Oh, my. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> Sorry about that. With a lots of well, no, I actually see one here. It says righteous insertion of, but the last word is not truth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not what that yeah, says. I, I got, I got some truth for you, baby. <laughs> um. <laughs> and dear listeners, this is how the next two hours are going to be. So either bail now or buckle up because this is going to be. Do I get right. to bail? <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> Sorry, that, that, that wasn't no, for the panel. Never mind. That's, that's... <laughs> well, I buckled this thing on. I don't know what I'm supposed to do with it, but all right. <laughs> In, insert it. Oh, boy, so I've got a righteous insertion. <laughs> and there goes the family friendly rating for this. Oh, dear. I feel like that was partially my fault. <laughs> everything's your fault, David. Absolutely everything's your fault. And talking of things that your fault, You've been recently. I've been listening. Of course, I listen to uh, some of your shows, and I've got a couple of bones to pick with you. You've been featuring a lot more of Clint Haycock than myself for the last two months, and I feel like I need to speak up about that. Well, it's because you're all the way in uh, London. Yeah, Clint's closer to me. Uh, no, and... he's, he's actually. <laughs> Okay, okay that like doesn't that work. Whole, yeah, all well, of that paragraph was mislabeled, man. You, know? you can you can take the American out of EST, but you can't take EST out of the American. Is, is that, okay. that how it works? Yeah. And yes, then, I, the I, other the, thing the, is, you've started this new series on your podcast, and you've managed to call it Shorts. Yes. Yeah. True. You do realize that things that are only a couple of minutes long are, are bite sized. You know. <laughs> Even baby bite size. Oh no! There's a name no. there mm-hmm. waiting to be used. Mm-hmm. It's been languishing unused mm-hmm. for a couple of years now, just waiting for somebody to pick it up and run with it. And what no, did you sir. do? You went with shorts. No, sir. That, that's not shorts, as in baby bites. That's shorts, as in eat mine. <laughs> um, is it a whole different uh, etymology <laughs> there? So. <laughs> Oh, we really are going to get to the bone-picking part of this thing. Here we go. Look, in all fairness, uh, Matt, you are exactly right. Uh, You have not been on the shows, but only because I have not invited you. But the reason I have not invited you (laughs) is because I can't reach you. I mean, you are so busy, and I feel bad sometimes because I don't have a lot of notice. 
the last couple of shows that uh, Clint has been on has been kind of same day or just the night before. Hey, Clint, you're on your own show. He's like, yeah, okay. <laughs> so yeah. he's he's a little bit like the Darren of. Uh, yeah. uh, Clint is Clint podcasts. is good at that. And yeah. joking aside, Clint is great to listen to. I do like his input, and I do like hearing him on your show. So don't stop that. I just yeah, felt no. like I, I needed there was an opportunity there to have a dig. So I felt like like a good Englishman. I, I, I want you on my show. I honestly do. I just I don't know. I don't know your number. I <laughs> you yeah. we got a plan. For you to be you, you have to schedule me in several I haven't had months. a plan in a long time. <laughs> so. yeah, yeah. And I've never had a schedule. <laughs> it's this is crazy season for me. It's play season. Yes. I'm I'm in a play with one group and the other group that I'm involved with has asked me to do front of house for their show that's in three weeks' time. So I've actually got to plan out and script my ad-libbed jokes that I'm going to say as part of my front of house stuff. I have no idea how I'm going to manage that. And the, how do you script an ad-lib? Yeah. It, it's amazing, isn't it? It's just, a, you just kind of pretend like you made it. Oh, well, I'm going to have to make friends with a stand-up and uh, work it out. So there's that. Andrew's obviously ridiculously busy with all the water-based stuff that he does. And the other thing is, this is going to be news to you guys. I'm getting quite excited about it. I've written a chapter for a book. There's a no. collaboration There's a collaboration book on one of the various deconstruction uh, Facebook groups that I'm on. Awesome. And it's various people are contributing their deconversion stories to a book project. And I've contributed mine. So the last two months of me being me trying to polish up my story and uh, tell it in a way that doesn't sound the disconjoined um, rambling nonsense that when I talk about it live on a podcast I've actually had to write it down edit it read it write it re-edit it and it actually comes out fairly coherent but I was given a brief of three to five thousand words and I wrote six thousand eight hundred and I can't get it shorter that's my man. <laughs> that's my that's be, my dude right there. <laughs> will there be any myth or legend in that chapter? There will be reference to a myth or legend, and I think you two know exactly which myth or legend I might be making reference <laughs> to. Is it is it the Amazing Spider Man? Something like that. Yes. Excellent. Yes. The, the amazing the amazing Thunder God. Hmm. I, so, I have a vague notion. Yes, I do. Let me let me tell you, uh, Matthew, just as someone who used to make money writing things, you're a very good writer, and I, I look forward yes, to reading it. Oh, thank you. Thank you, David. I, I, I appreciate that. My The first edit went through this week, and I've got some feedback on it, but the, the, res, the comments were very, very positive, and I'm making minimal changes. Okay, so this, this so is part of your problem too, right now. If you want to write for money, stop submitting your stuff for feedback. That's for suckers. <laughs> no, submit your stuff for money. <laughs> That's <laughs> you have got the wrong plan, sir. Yeah. So or, that was, so stay tuned. As soon as there's any kind of update, I will of course let people know. But if you haven't heard, there is no update. So everything's exploding from me. What about you guys? What have you guys been up to? Because I've not spoken to either of you properly for a number of weeks. Dave, you go ahead. I'm not ready. 
Uh, I've actually got a burning in uh, the eye underneath the patch, and I've, I need to turn off my camera so that I can furiously it's that righteous rub at again, it. Isn't it? Something's been inserted <laughs> in there. I'm just gonna. Yeah, just gods. Um, <laughs> the um, <laughs> you don't even want to see this, perfect man. Perfect opportunity for a soundtrack here now. I know. And for those it's watching, it's a good thing audio, I turned off my Dave microphone. Got God left, damn um, it! Gouged elbow deep into his right eye. Uh, yes. Uh, thank that you. Wasn't the soundtrack <laughs> I had in mind? Just <laughs> you, you, you guys didn't hear any of that, did you? Um, anyway. <laughs> Uh, so seriously, I uh, so a few years ago, uh, I had Andrew will know this term a closed angle attack, uh, which is a glaucoma kind of thing. I don't have glaucoma, but I had a closed angle attack. Look it up. It's real painful. It's real bad. I was close enough to uh, the School of Optometry, one of the best in the world. Uh, and I had a great doctor, one of the best in the world. So I was very lucky at that time. And uh, he was able to uh, see me right away, and he put me in front of this thing uh, and said, yeah, this is just going to take a couple of minutes. I just want to do a couple. Wham! Okay, yeah, hold still. Just hang on. Yeah, Wham! Uh, it was. It's an air cannon thing that punches holes in the back of your eye. Um, a laser. It's a laser cannon thing. And uh, they don't use anesthesia for this. And this the situation was so bad that he just had to do it. <laughs> in fact, he, he ended up having to punch two holes in the back of my uh, eye that way. I, I don't think I need to hear any more of that. So as a result, I, I am very aware of when my eye pressure is up. There are no real good diagnostic ways of telling. But for me, I see halos. Uh, in my eye around lights when the pressure is up. So I took two random, two drops of my wife's uh, eye medicine, and she does have glaucoma. And now my vision looks even worse in the one eye that's uncovered, and it hurts like hell in the eye that's covered. That's what's going on with me. Okay. <laughs> Don't you wish you had started with someone else? <laughs> yeah, I was hoping for nice, cute anecdotes like the awesome podcast you listen to or something fabulous that you've done in the world on a stage or something like that. And you go and hit me with old people's problems. Oh, which, talking of which, old people's problems, I've been on holiday and we're going to get to my holiday in a minute. I came back from my holiday and our... Because I've had my birthday as part of my holiday, I've reached a special age, according to our National Health Service here in the UK. So I have now got a sample kit come through my letterbox, which I have to do. Uh And it's for me to do a sample test to find out what my status is regarding the brown cancer. Yes, yes, a a Cologuard type thing. Yeah, you can tell I'm really looking forward to that one. You know, where's my but come when I need it, because I need a big, long drink. Yeah, let me tell you something, uh, brother. As someone who is uh, who represents the youngest of all of us at 53, I have endured more medical indignity than you were ever going to endure in your life. Enjoy your goddamn stool sample. <laughs> I wish that was the worst problem I had. <laughs> 
I'm sorry. sorry about that. Yeah, uh, so Andrew, Andrew, you're Andrew, in the shock mail. us. Go on, I dare you. Shock us. What have you been okay. up to? Okay. All right. Um, we do uh, some work on a large body of water. Uh, my girlfriend and I. Is this that butt come again? That's a small mm, body of water. Not, 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 this, <laughs> not, this, not this time, at least. Uh, so we get a call. Um, last weekend, and uh, the call, uh, we get the call at about 11.30 p.m., uh, 23.30 for those military time folks, and uh, and this person on the other end of the line says, um, can you help me find my boat? And I said, um, sure. Uh, how many people are on board? Oh, no, no, it's, it's just my boat. Uh, right, I, I get it, but there's nobody on board. But no, it, it's it's just my boat. And uh, and this person, this person, uh, at a campsite uh, uh, on this body of water that we operate on. And uh, and he drug his boat up on shore, but not far enough. So the boat in the middle of the night just floats away. <laughs> now it gets better. It, it gets so much better. So sure, we'll come and we'll come and have a look for this for this craft, right? And uh, and so it takes a little while to to get there, but but not terribly long. We search for this vessel for two hours in the middle of the night. Now this this body of water really is quite large that we operate on. So I'm guessing almost, you've got a couple of big spotlights on your boat for just for this sort of thing. Yeah, the uh, 535,000 candle uh, searchlights. So they're bright. It's not the brightest searchlight on the market, but you know you have to have them for nighttime operations anyway. Um, and we look and look and look for a couple hours for this boat. First of all, it's a 14-foot John boat. It's just this little bitty boat that you could paddle around. And, and so it's, it's impossible. It's impossible to find. But it could be 20 feet downstream in the reeds and you'd not see it. That's exactly right. And of course, at night, you can't cruise the shoreline because any obstructions in the water you won't see. So we're, we have to stand off at a, at a fairly good distance. The next morning, we call back to, to resume searching because we couldn't find it overnight. And uh, it had been a little windy the night before, so the boat could have been anywhere, right? And he finally fesses up. He, he finally fesses up. So, so look, we, we looked two hours last night, and I, I just really need to know at this point because we couldn't find it. How long was the boat missing before you called me? He said, oh, about two hours. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> you know, um, had you had you told me that, I'd have I'd have saved you some money, because I'd have said you might as well wait till morning now, because yeah, after after two hours of uncontrolled drift, that vessel could be anywhere. That <laughs> we he did find it. He he did find it. And, uh, it ended up uh, across the channel 
in some uh, uh, in some brush and debris. So he got lucky, right? So it's very fortunate they even find the thing. But if you get, if you're going to call someone out in the middle of the night for a search, listeners, all of the relevant details will, yeah. <laughs> will be of some value. And um, two weeks before that, we went out for for a, a rescue. And I actually met a guy. I've never seen one of these people before in my life. Uh, we had a we had a customer who was so drunk that he really did not know his last name. Can you imagine? That's the charge double. That is. <laughs> oh, it was. It, it's great. Couldn't tell me where his car was. Couldn't tell me where he rented the boat from. Could not <laughs> tell me his last name. <laughs> oh, dear me. The um the the deck <clears throat> of this particular boat, uh, it, it looked like two fraternities had had a drinking party on board and everybody lost. <laughs> <laughs> and do they return the boats in that state back to the to the places they hire them from? Well, of course they're not supposed to. Um, but we follow these folks because we really were concerned about their safety, uh, whether they could operate the craft. And they, they refused uh, further assistance. Um, so we followed them because there are obstructions um, in, in the water that could have uh, could have done real damage to them and the boat. Uh, and we felt like it was our responsibility uh, just to see it through, if you see what I mean. Um, and they did, uh, they did find eventually, uh, took about three hours, but they figured out where this boat was supposed to be. Um, and as far as I'm aware, they pretty well left the boat <laughs> tied to this courtesy dock. And that wow. was sort of the end. Of it. I imagine that their credit card just gets charged for all the, Probably, yeah. the yeah. cleanup and such. Oh. You need a list of all the boats on the all the hire boats on the water and who hires them so that you can just do a quick checkup. So we we have just because we operate in a pretty broad area, there's a lot of marinas and, and of course we want them to know we're around and, and ready to help. And uh, so we do get to know most of the folks that lease boats on the water. Now occasionally there's a you know a person that leases a boat privately or something like that. We won't know them, but we do uh, we do have a, a pretty good awareness of what rental fleets are on the water. And you just you you wouldn't you wouldn't believe uh, what people do. Run wide open into fuel docks. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Yeah. So anyway. Uh, many, many crumbs. How long it, it was before <clears throat> my daughter was born, so it must be yeah. 20 years ago, the last time I was in the States. And uh, we went to, I think it's Lake Tussian, where London Bridge is, where the, the one, mm. the, the poor guy that got sold London Bridge because he thought it was a different bridge. And uh, we hired a jet ski, my wife and I, to go on that. But under London Bridge, there's a boat parking place there. And everybody Some with a big edge. Yeah, one of them. 
and everybody with a big engined boat that went underneath the bridge gave it an enormous amount of rev so you could hear the echo across the water as they went oh, under okay. the bridge every single one and there are some really fancy boats going there you know that sort of thing <clears throat> is you know it's it's really bad manners and um so for the the folks that that are listening who wonder if that marina was probably quite close water-wise to the bridge, maybe within oh half or three quarters of a mile even. Yeah, yeah, probably less, yeah. but yeah, it was very close. Yeah. And the reason is marinas are often close to bridges because that gives the marina uh, the most exposure to traffic, right? It's it's You can get to it from across the water, so, so marinas are often built very, very near bridges. Um, and, and this sort of misbehavior of, of cranking up the sound and that kind of thing. Um, there are people that live on the water at those marinas. They live in the houseboats or, or very near shore. Mm. And, uh, and it's really bad behavior. You know, it's like a, it's like people with loud stereos driving by your house, right? And, uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, but people do it, you know, out, get out on the water to have a good time. So, so um, Matt, is this like a legend you're telling? Because I thought that London didn't have any bridges. It's got a few bridges. <laughs> no, there's there's this very popular song. London, London bridges bridge falling, falling, falling down. down. There is. It's, a, it, it's I mean, it's that was that's true, right? One of the bridges might have at some point. You know what? I don't even know the source of what that song is. If I can be bothered during the edit, listeners, I will have found the source and there'll be a link to it in the show notes, probably to Wikipedia. So check the show notes and see if you can become more educated than I am currently. Well, I trust I trust my sources. And so I choose to believe that London bridges have fallen down. No, it's singular. London Bridge has fallen down. I think it's just singular. But more have been built since. Well, you're in the wrong part of the world, man. That's not the I, way American kids sing that song. No, no, um, nope. So, trying to drag us dangerously on topic, Matthew. Me? <laughs> Look, when the job of dragging the legendary uh, show David is on topic, on topic, man. <laughs> when that when that falls to me, things have already gone apocalyptic. So, <laughs> so people only people tune into this podcast <clears throat> and only go and auto and just start half an hour in because they know the first half is Andrew and Matthew. Bleh. Oh, which reminds me. Which reminds me, I've got some really, really exciting news about our podcast stats, actually, Andrew. This is definitely going to impress the two of you. I recently signed we up. We hit our second regular listener. Yeah, it, it's better than that. It is better than that. I promise you, this is definitely worth a celebration. I signed up to some kind of stat counting website thing. I can't even remember what it was called now. And uh, I've had an email recently congratulating still unbelievable on having a higher than average number of female listeners so i thought fantastic oh, no, that is cool that is cool yes and then it told us <laughs> how much higher than the average number of listeners and as a percentage it is 0.06 percent higher than average Excellent. 0.06 
person. Now, now here's what is impressive about that. That we have enough listeners that they <laughs> they can find us it. Back <laughs> out at zero point zero six percent. Hey, um, look, I I so, have a story about a woman listener. Uh, so I was talking to my mother uh, the other day, and I, uh, you know, we were getting off the phone because we don't talk for long uh, when we talk, but we we talk every now and then, and so. Uh, we said our fel- farewells, and uh, I hit the button, and then uh, a podcast came on. It wasn't mine, but it was a podcast that I was listening to, and they were in the middle of telling some off-color jokes and things. And my mother's voice came in and said, you know, I'm still here, right? And... Um, <laughs> I mean, I I couldn't even explain to her. Look, this is a tech podcast, and they were just on a little tangent about a thing, and it's it's just it's it's just what it was, and it's just uh, awkward. Um, so, I mean, that's one listener more than I want it. Awesome. <laughs> so, awesome. One, <laughs> they upped their female listenership by 0.06 percent for that episode. Right. No, it really is interesting. I mean, okay, so. First of all, one has to wonder, right, is is 0.06 a usable statistic in any sort of real way when you're (laughs) you're trying to adjust your podcast? Oh, no, you are so wrong. I I know that there are lots of people that are walking around with the tag of trans who are 0.06 women. (laughs) And so uh, I think that's a real statistic. Absolutely. Yes. Okay. It, there's a 53.14% chance that that's real. Um, so, the, you know, zero Now you're points, just being mean. <laughs> <laughs> the, the 0.06, is there any place in podcast statistics where that's a, a valuable sort of you know, 0.06? Yeah, if you're if you're wrote Joe Rogan and your numbers in the hundreds of millions, uh, you know, or something like that, then sure. Zero point zero six is yeah, it's a thousand person swing. Right, but I have never swung with a thousand people. Just 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 letting you know. So so seriously, even so, mm-hmm. as the numbers get bigger, just gonna let that go. Zero point zero six is a is a thousand person swing. But at zero point zero six percent, do you do you care enough to make any um, to make any programming changes? Because uh, it's still zero point zero six percent of your overall listenership. So at what point uh, are you actually saying to yourself, "Well, we're talking about six hundredths of a percent"? Um, you know, is is that statistically meaningful for our mission? I think the answer to that is all. If I was a billionaire, uh, I would bend over and pick up a thousand dollars off the sidewalk. Yep. I mean, it's, it's it seems like it's you know worth the effort to do that. Yeah, I, I suspect. I and suspect we're not. We haven't got num- list of numbers in the billions, so I would get down on my knees and beg for another listener. <laughs> okay. Okay. Please Look, listen to the what you guys are putting out here. See. <laughs> 
There was actually a statistic years ago about Bill Gates, how much he was worth when he was at the, the height of his, of his value. And, and somebody had calculated that if he bent down to pick up a $100 bill, he would actually be losing money compared to his daily routine that was, that was making him money. If I were worth billions, uh, I think I would know what the thing was that was making me money. And I think I would focus my time on that, you know, and, and I think that's what these guys do. Well, and I would like to know what neighborhood uh, Bill Gates is in where people are just dropping hundred dollar bills. Uh, you know, I would love to be the trash collector in that neighborhood. <laughs> well, you know, I, I think there's some, I think there are some other denizens of that neighborhood Jeffrey Epstein. Oh, <clears throat> sorry. <clears throat> I pick up his garbage too. I mean, honestly, he's dropping hundred dollar bills. Give, yeah, give that's definitely not legendary. <laughs> this is how legends get made. I what I <laughs> what I am trying to say David is, like, oh, may I now. may I please have your zero points? zero six percent of a listener because i could really use it and i'm not above begging <laughs> so i don't care what it is a zero point zero six percent of a person that's fine it's uh, their ear that, that's the all that's the only bit you need that's all i need <laughs> so <laughs> I, i'll take it <laughs> yeah you're not even stereo so one ear will do <laughs> <laughs> so um Sure. I that by the way, that was Andrew's uh effort that almost went unnoticed, unremarked, trying to get us uh onto topic. So Matt, <laughs> you're the only one left. <laughs> to... I, I will say this. I will say this about zero point zero six percent. If you if you go over and listen to Skeptics and Seekers Sunday sermon or any other uh, skeptics and seekers property. 0.06% of the time that you listen over there will get you about one hour per show. <laughs> <laughs> so what a fine segue. So what I have been doing that some of your listeners may not know to answer Matt's question that he asked way at the beginning of the show uh, about what podcasts have been doing. Uh, I have been doing mostly unnoticed skeptics and seekers sunday sermon shorts and those shorts are dailies they come in every almost every day almost every weekday uh almost every weekday that i damn well feel like it uh a lot of them usually about five a week uh sometimes it's four sometimes it's six uh, and you can get them. They come in the same place that the full-size Skeptics and Seekers come in. And so the goal of the shorts is to do a three to five minute daily every day, every morning before I go to work. And so naturally they run about 25 minutes right. because they do. Um, <laughs> but you can get them, skepticsandseekers.squarespace.com. You can get them there. You can get them wherever fine podcasts are are sold legally. <laughs> I, you know, um, it's, know where we're flying podcasts or fence. I, I listen to my podcast pirated. <laughs> yeah, <it's>, so, <laughs> so that's I've been doing that. <laughs> Another thing that the that the listeners probably don't know is that there's some discussion behind the scenes about uh, about recombining the properties. Right? So, do, do you realize this is the first time that three of us have actually? Uh, broach this subject t together 
Look, I, I, I love it when the swords are hung out to dry. So, I love it when the swords are hung out. Yeah, we interrupt this uh, this highly important uh, podcast to have a board meeting between you guys <laughs> over at uh, SU and Forest. And that, that's right, folks. From here on out, you're guaranteed to be bored. It's <laughs> yeah, guaranteed 0.06% interesting. <laughs> that was well played, Mr. Taylor. So, uh, there's been some talk about recombining these properties and the people that have been around for a while, bless your hearts, uh, will know that Skeptics and Seekers and Still Unbelievable are uh, twin properties of a kind, really. Uh, we all started in the same place with the book Still Unbelievable uh, and the, the unmatchable Matthew Taylor is the person that you have to thank for that and that we have to thank. Um, or blame. Um, here's well, the, yes. look. There's there's an untold story here. Andrew and I, uh, we actually kind of had some brainstorming sessions, and we we both together pooped out uh, still unbelievable and skeptics and seekers uh, and ask an atheist anything. I mean, these are never actually separate things per se. Uh, but the fact is. Uh, Andrew and I can be dicks to each other sometimes. And so uh, we we split off and we became much better friends again. But that's that's kind of dumb, too. Uh, so when he says recombine, he actually does mean recombine because they all were the same. So where does Matt come in, you ask? One day, Andrew and I woke up in our underwear on a boat somewhere. And no, Matt, was, Matt, was, not, Matt was driving the show. I mean, he was... He was, it was just, it was like Matt was in charge all of a sudden, and we had to send out an SOS to him to get back to shore, get our clothes, thank you very much, and we have been paying him uh, protection money ever since. <laughs> what I'm trying to say is, help me, help me. And so, okay, I hope that got through, okay? Don't edit that out. <laughs> I, I won't. I, it's the best compliment I've ever had from you, David. Thank you. And, and even before that, um, what you're what you're hearing is is largely down uh, to someone. Uh, Tyler B was was his name back in the day, and it's, uh, he was on the unbelievable uh, discus boards back when you could haunt that place as a skeptic. Uh, and we'd been listening for a long time. That's sort of how the book Still Unbelievable came about. Uh, David and I were uh, over there doing our, uh, our, our usual knife fighting with the, uh, with the religious crowd there. And, uh, and Justin Priorly was about to release his book Unbelievable after listening to Atheist for 10 years, I'm Still a Christian, or whatever the subtitle is. Uh, and Tyler said, you guys ought to write a book. And we tried. And we failed until <laughs> until Matthew Taylor came around and, uh, and rescued the project. And uh, out of that comment from Tyler came the book, still unbelievable. Uh, you can get it for free. Uh, or you can pay a dollar for it at Amazon. Or, or uh, you pay me $5 and... I mean, you still get the book for free, but I mean, just saying stuff. I mean, I could really use the money. Right. <laughs> so. And, and so, 
Matthew is the is the guy uh, upon whose shoulders rested this whole uh, empire. <laughs> Sorry, that's all yeah. Yeah, and, and the uh, and the reason the book has so many of my chapters in it was because I was on my way to writing a response book uh, anyway, and uh, I didn't want to do uh, a group book. I I curse Tyler B's name to this day every day. I face to the east and curse east and curse him five times uh, per day. Um, it was a hard project. Uh, it was. We almost didn't make it. I'm glad we did. I mean, I'm glad it worked out. But if if not for that, we wouldn't have met Matt. And Matt, whether he realizes or not, really is the one that saved the project. And um, so, you know, you we have these properties, but we actually owe them to Matt as much as anything else. Because if he hadn't stepped in, none of these projects would have taken off, or at least certainly not in the form that they did. Right. And... and who knows if the authors would still even be speaking to each other. <laughs> oh, yeah. We, we'd, we'd still be speaking to each other. We'd be cursing a lot more, but yeah. <laughs> what happened? Well, so. thank you. Thank you, guys. I mean, I, I genuinely appreciate those really kind comments. No, I'm not aware that I had such a, an impact uh, to the extent to what, what you're saying. I thought I was just part of the team and moving this along so thank you so much for the, those kind words i'm very very glad that i jumped on board to the project and i'm very very glad to have met the two of you the two of you have made me better at communicating what i want to communicate and i thank you both for that oh i'm a better person for you matthew yeah he, he i can i can confirm he is a better person for having uh, met you <laughs> um david so... on the other hand is unreachable <laughs> <laughs> The gentleman is not for turning. I did try to get possessed by a demon after all. So, yes, I, I might be. Yes, talking talk oh, of which, talk of which I've, got a, I've got a, to have a word with you about my spleen or, ah. or whatever it is. Gallstones. Gall, we that's one. for gallstones. Yeah. Right? Nothing. Nothing. Yeah. Okay. Obvi obviously, we were not successful. Uh, well, or you were not serious. Not. I mean, one one or the other. You yeah. obviously didn't mean it to happen. I admitted, I admitted as much as I could have admitted anything at the time. I suppose <laughs> I just how do you how do you mean to get possessed by something that you don't think exists? I mean, how do you what? <laughs> to the best of my ability, we did Ouija boards. We okay. did the most accursed. Um, uh, uh, what do you what do you call it? We did an incantation uh, of the most accursed kind, and it and it even warned that if you mispronounced words, uh, uh, there would be serious serious repercussions. <laughs> serious repercussions <laughs> for that. What is more serious than being possessed by a demon? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I guess the repercussion is you don't get possessed by the demon. <laughs> so, this is an interesting one, though, isn't it? Because in, in the religious world, we have these myths and legends of miracles, right? And, and the idea of, of miracles in the pro sense, in the sense that they can help you, is that if you don't believe, lots of people think if you don't believe in miracles, then you won't be granted the, the miracle that you're asking for, whatever healing you need, right? So there's the, there's the pro side of miracles. 
But what is the pro side for the devil if you don't believe in demon possession? And he says, well, okay, I'm not going to possess you. You know, <laughs> surely, surely the devil would be saying, well, you know, it's nothing but upside for me, whether you believe I don't, or not, right? I don't understand the demon's motivation at all, because here's the thing. In, in Jesus' day, and apparently in today too, demons can just gank whoever they want to. I mean, they can they can just jump you and possess you, and there goes your soul, brother. Um, yes, so, but I mean, they don't even need to possess you, though, because if Christians are to be believed, we're all doomed anyway, save, uh, save for the grace of God. So the demons don't really have to do anything. What is their motivation for possessing a person? Unsaving their soul? Can, they, know, can a possessed person get into heaven? Can if you the person, be a Christian and be possessed? If, if the person's soul was saved, the demon couldn't get to him anyway. So, I mean, they're just possessing well, someone that they own. Funny anyway. you should say that. I don't know if I've even told you guys this story, but I had a deliverance experience as a young 20-something. So I was a Christian, and I had multiple demons cast out of me, allegedly. Okay, so maybe that's why we couldn't get your gallstones. You had the you had the protection. Yeah, that you, you hard, didn't tell us. The hardest that. nails demon is still clinging on to my gall. Oh, yeah, he's still. <laughs> no, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. There's more to this story that that needs to be fully fleshed out because this is actually on topic. So, yeah. so in your twenties, yeah, you you supposedly who thinks you are demon possessed first? Right, yeah, okay, well, this was not on the agenda for this topic, but I guess it's my fault for bringing it up. And I have hint, and I, to be honest, actually, I have wanted to have an episode, Andrew, where I talk this story through to the best of my memory and we question it, etc. We're already 40 minutes in, so that's not going to happen this episode, but we well, do just need give to us do like it. two minutes so that we can mark it. Yeah, but yes, <laughs> mark it as well. Okay, yeah. So the church I was going to, uh, I was d dating my girlfriend, future wife uh, at the time. So I was sort of like 22-ish and we were attending this church and they had once a month, they had an evening prayer for healing service. That's how it was banded uh, <clears throat> service in the church. And anybody who wanted special prayers would come to this meeting. We'd have the usual song and dance at the beginning and then extended prayer session, there'd be tongues, there'd be interpretations, there'd be people standing, etc. And then we'd have the, the healing team would all go to the front and you'd queue up and you'd stand in front of someone and say, my prayer is for this, that and the other. So I gave my uh, request, which was basically a blessing over <clears throat> the relationship between myself and my father, because at that point in life, the relationship between myself and my father was at an all-time low. So I did that and I had the, the prayer experience. So quick context check, I'm 22, it's about four years since I left Zambia to come to the UK, so that's kind of the, the context uh, there. And yep, yeah, so I had the prayer and I fell backwards and started making ungodly noises and people were praying over me get thy get thine self out of him devil or whatever words they used and this thing this experience lasted for long enough that it was disrupting the service so they moved me 
out of the church hall because it was a small service within the church hall so moved me out of the church hall into the church sanctuary where all the pews were plonked me on a chair and about half a dozen people for the next half hour stood around me casting out demons <laughs> so, just, so we've got a case where a person is acting out so that they think they're demon possessed first of all how did they how did they distinguish that from being holy spirit uh, possessed maybe that was a spirit coming over you but it wasn't never, a beautiful noise yeah i mean never it never is um <laughs> but but beyond that they're having a real happening of the supernatural kind and they're like hey could you guys go over there so that we can finish singing amazing grace what how did what goes through their mind this is the event <laughs> this is the thing <laughs> that churches live for and it's happening and they're like hey take it to the take it to the banquet hall <laughs> yep that yeah they took me out I wow <laughs> so here's here's why i think this is interesting for myth and legend and and here's why i wanted you to tell a story somebody is there somebody out there right now that you can think of that was involved in this sort of exorcism right is there somebody out there that is telling the story right now about you uh and saying it was successful that matthew was was uh, you know possessed by a demon or demons and we did this this thing whatever you know we, we did this this prayer and this singing and dancing and we raved and we waved a rubber chicken right and and <laughs> and matthew now doesn't have demons is there somebody telling that story do you imagine Probably. I mean, of, there was about half a dozen people that stayed with me in the church sanctuary. Half of them, I don't know. And oh. the, in fact, to be honest, there's only two who I'm sure about who I can remember. One I'm pretty sure is now dead because he was the minister of the church and he's retired. We're talking about an event that was 30 years ago. Let's remember. Right, right. Um, I'm not that old, but you are. Thank you. <laughs> And uh, the the other guy that I remember, I'm pretty certain he's still alive, but he'll be getting elderly now. Mm. So he could very well still remember that that event and may yeah, still tell that people, story. The people that weren't in the uh, in the sanctuary, they would have still witnessed you and yeah. having you taken into the sanctuary, and they yeah. would know that as a demon possession event. Yeah, I guarantee you there are people talking about it as a demon possession event. And, yeah. And how did you feel at the time? So, so I was petrified. And if I, you remember the last time we spoke about this kind of thing, David, I talked about having an experience of sleep paralysis as well. Yeah. The sleep yeah. paralysis was about a week after this uh, demonic event. Did you? Yeah. Whatever this is, sorry, this this probably doesn't connect in any sort of way to reality. But did you did you feel demon possessed? What what was your emotional state when they said, "Okay, you're demon possessed, and we're going to take you over here and get the demon out of you"? You know what? I I remember odd things. Like I say, we are talking about something that was thirty years ago. So all the usual caveats about the state of my memory mm -hmm. and the, the sure. passage of time, uh, etc. I remember really weird tingling sensation over my face throughout much of that period, that, that 
during during stuff that was happening kind of like a pins and needles kind of feeling over my face so i remember that kind of feeling mm-hmm. um i remember a feeling of emotional fear because i'd been primed that yeah. that's not um let's not beat around the bush here i'd been to this kind of thing before i'd witnessed this kind of thing before so i knew already what to expect how these mm-hmm. things go so priming mental and emotional priming is definitely a factor of sure. what happened uh, okay but did, did anything supernatural happen that uh would like did your head spin around no, there was, uh, there was, tingle you, demon there was you heard about the tingle demon that was tingle. there was yeah. so there's a, a couple of things there which it'll be interesting to see how you guys interpret them and i'm pretty mm-hmm. sure that somebody listening has got some kind of psychological expertise who might be able to categorize it so if you do fall into that category please drop an email it'll be genuinely interesting to hear thoughts from from somebody else and maybe another time we'll expand this discussion a bit more but there are two parts of that evening that's kind of play my memory one is afterwards i tried to account for the individual's who were praying for me when I was removed into the church sanctuary. And they were at the time, they were all people that I recognized from having been to this kind of meeting before. And I Mm -hmm. saw them all again afterwards, with the exception of one. To my memory, that individual was only ever there at that meeting, at that experience. And I became convinced that that individual was an angel. Hmm. So interesting. Uh, there were there was that and one of the things why I was convinced that that person was an angel was there was a woman who was praying as part of it and this person never left her side and at one point while they were praying for me he said to her like quite kind of like in a whisper he's afraid and then she said to everybody else he's afraid we need to pray for his fear so it was this kind of communication. So I interpreted that kind of communication hierarchy as though that was an angel telling her and nobody else could see him, but I obviously could for my benefit. That was how I interpreted that post hoc. Mm. I wonder in, in this kind of story, uh, by the way, I, I, I do appreciate how terrifying that had to be. I've been surrounded by uh, similar circumstances and it's um it's more than sobering right uh i'm not quite sure how to describe both the sense of of helplessness because events are taking a shape that um is a little out of your control right Mm. and there's no your protests don't matter very much but i i kind of wonder um so the angel's there, right? Uh, and and there's this idea, oh, well, you know, now we need to pray for his fear. Well, <laughs> what's the angel doing there, right? Uh, so we've got this angel, and is he going to wait to intervene until there's some prayer? Uh, is is he there just as a, um, as a uh, casual observer? for God, right? Uh, just to sort of uh, uh, take notes back home, you know, here, God, here's how it went. Um, what, to, to what extent, even if the story is true, let's, let's, let's give it its best face for Christianity, and let's say that you weren't possessed, 
which is which is quite sobering thought, isn't it? It's, yep. To to what extent? How does the how does the angel fit in to the demon story? If you see what I mean. Yeah, because to all intents and purposes, that if it was an angel, behaved and appeared like a human, didn't do anything special, apart from that whispering moment, which was kind of odd. Why couldn't he just say it to everybody else? Apart from that bit, pretty much everything was a human, you know, walked around, sat on a chair, had clothes on, you know, didn't have any peculiar protrusions, not that <laughs> I could see. Um, certainly no righteous insertions, as far as I could tell. And, you know, wandered around and talked like a human. So probably a human. You know, Probably if it really human. was an angel and if it really was there for my benefit, wouldn't there have been a little bit more of a hint? Well, I, so I had the same th- thought as Andrew did, um, obviously. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> Where was the flaming is, uh, sword? I wanted to see I the mean, flaming swords. The angel would have taken oh, me out of it. Oh, there's a website for that too, dude. <laughs> that <would have> been, <laughs> yeah, it's called Righteous Insertion. Uh, so the, um, the I, I just want to, commiserate with you a little bit i've uh hinted at this on uh, podcasts as well but i've i've had um a, a vision i i would say visions but i i remember one very distinctly it was when i was very very sick some years ago uh in a hospital in uh portland oregon uh i was there for 30 days and a part of that time uh i had a uh, infection overtake me and it got into my heart Uh, and so I was in the uh, ICU that was specifically for cardiac patients uh, for uh, a little a little while and uh, during that time I had a well uh, I guess you would call it a fever dream a literal fever dream I never understood that term until I had one then it was like, oh, that's <laughs> that's where that comes from. Um, and I remember it very clearly, or at, at least as clearly as one can remember uh, that sort of thing. And my uh, wife at the time was there with me. Uh, I remember her being there. She she recalled with me afterward, you know, the things that I was saying and so forth, which um which kind of uh, went along with with my recollection, and so I have at least some reason to believe that um, my thoughts about the the experience were accurate. Uh, and what I what I saw, you know, I was I was in bed, but my room had opened up, and I was in a loft situation uh, in in the fever dream. It was just a regular hospital room, but it had become a loft. And I moved over to the edge of my, uh, the edge of, you know, where the loft was. And I looked down uh, and it was hell. Uh, you know, it was hell and uh, there were, uh, there were demons. And I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> this is, <laughs> this is not going to well for me at all. <laughs> and, um, you know, I, I tried to talk to my uh, wife because I was aware of her and, you know, explain to her at the time what was going on and ask her for uh, confirmation and so forth. It was uh, it was very real. I was talking to her the way I'm talking to you now, except I was having, you know, a, a whole different experience. Uh, and it was as real as any experience 
I have ever had. Now, I know that there are a lot of Christians rubbing their hands with glee saying, yeah, it was real. You saw your future. <laughs> You're going to burn in hell, uh, which is which is fine is what I thought at the time. I was a Christian at the time, though. Um, so never never mind all that. But my my I had way more fears of hell than hopes of heaven. Uh, so, you know, it would be natural, I think, in that dream for me to have had that that type of vision. I do not believe for a moment that the event actually happened. I know that my body was in rebellion at the time, and I was closer to being dead than alive uh, at the time, but I, I came through it, and I, I just, I know how it feels to have something that seems as real as real, but I was able to reason my self, you know, off of the ledge, uh, as it were, because I understood, you know, fever and your brain is overheating and all, uh, all kinds of stuff like that. Isn't, have you thought back on that moment and, you know, recognized that you were in a heightened sense of stress? so high of a sense of stress that you were having uh, some facial neuropathy and uh, you're, you are, you are being sent kind of over the edge by the people who are declaring you demon possessed. It is not surprising at all that you might manifest something in that. Uh, have, have you thought in those terms? I mean, for me, it was I have, easy. Yes, I was in a hospital. Yeah. Yes, I have. I mean, obviously, I made reference to it earlier. Absolutely, I was primed to that kind of behaviour because of my experience of that kind of situation, that meeting, having witnessed what I'd witnessed prior to that. So priming, absolutely. Why my experience was more, went for so long and wasn't just the, the five minute, you know, nap on the floor that most people have, I can't explain that possibly because of my my heightened emotional stress that relationship with my father was causing me emotional consternation to a very acute degree let's just put it that way so very likely that my my mental state was a huge factor in that <clears throat> quite how to explain the the tingling in the face and i i have ne never i just don't have the knowledge to be able to explain that but what you've said seems plausible i'm not going to nail any kind of uh, uh what's the word um explanation to that until somebody with a with a phd comes and talks to me sure. and says yeah have, we can actually show this but have you ever been an athlete yeah have you have you ever been an athlete I'm just curious yes i used to swim a lot in my teens okay so no so um, what <laughs> is, so, um so andrew and i uh we used to wrestle as, as well as other probably ill-advised things uh like that we did that that, that required physical a lot of physical exertion i can tell you as someone who's uh who's played a little bit of football who uh who wrestled uh a lot wrestling is harder actually um you know involved in that sort of thing that extreme strain you're gonna feel some tingling in your face your your veins okay. are going to bulge your blood is going to rush uh and and it's gonna get hot and it's gonna come over as a tingling but it's it's that 
you know, we we use that fire, if you will, to to push us. And you either get pushed to success or you faint. Uh, because okay. that, that's that's what comes next after that kind of exertion. Okay. So. I used to, when I was swimming competitively, um, it would be interesting to talk about this with another swimmer because you swam competitively. Um, we, we used to breathe uh, only on one side. When, yeah. uh, so j- just, just thinking about freestyle for a moment, forget yeah. butterfly breaststroke or backstroke. Uh, freestyle's common. And we'd breathe only on one side. And, of course, there are milliseconds lost uh, in breathing. And and as you advance and become more fit, if you can take fewer breaths mm-hmm. uh, while you're swimming, you know, your time will increase slightly. And, and of course, after not breathing enough, there's a, a drop off on the other side. I don't know if it was quite bell curve shaped, but you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Uh, and when I used to swim um, the 200 and 500 meter distances, uh, I experienced facial tingling uh, because I was all the way up at the end of training, right? You're, you're swimming uh, even harder than you prepared for uh, in, in training, or at least it often felt that way, right? The, the pressure of, uh, the pressure of competition combined with, uh, extreme exertion. And I wonder, having said all of that about breathing, I just wonder if during that time you weren't breathing normally. And that oh, there was hyperventilating. I, there was definitely hyperventilating. Mm. I don't know that any of that has anything. Mm. I mean, you know, we don't we don't have sensor readings from that time or whatever. Right, but there were but there are good explanations from. Oh, I don't it, doubt it. People, I'm just that saying people that can give you with yeah. with experience. You know, I'm not a doctor, but having having been a person who's exerted okay. themselves uh, to to that point, that's not a that's not a terribly uncommon thing okay, and so right. i i would suspect that you were in a state of high exertion as as well as stress there right okay oh yeah that, that certainly seems acceptable and plausible david yeah so i have thought around it a, a bit because when i was going through my pre-deconstruction doubts that event was the anchor that kept me on side yeah, every time I thought, you know what, I can question God, I would return to the memory of that event and go, God must exist because God rescued me in that moment, that evening, that night, went through all of that and he rescued me from all of those demons. How could he not exist? So I'd go back to that and rebuild my faith from that point. And then I'd have doubts again and I returned to that to sort of like recharge my belief in God. You know, God must exist. And it wasn't until I had, which I think I've mentioned on another show, uh, an explanation that that explained sufficiently sleep paralysis that gave me reason to go, OK, well, God didn't rescue me from a demonic attack on that occasion. Maybe there's also something that applies to the deliverance as well. And it was mm-hmm. that thought process which then enabled me to unpack that. And it was it wasn't until I'd been able to go, well, at least even if I don't know it now, I know that there is the plausibility of an explanation that is non-supernatural. And as soon as I allowed myself to think that, the whole lot started picking apart and there was no way it was going to get rebuilt. 
this is why um, extrans like uh, myself, uh, Andrew, the new, we we often take a dive, uh, if not a deep dive, into science and biology and physics and mm. things of the natural world because we realize that the more you know about how the universe works, the less likely you are to fall for yeah. Uh, things that end up just being legend and myth because when you when you have that awareness oh this happens when you do that or this is a actually a normal biological process or mm -hmm. you know something like that then stories of the supernatural become less super and a lot more natural Yes, absolutely. They become they they hold on us. They hold on our belief systems becomes uh, less certain. And I always get very nervous when I hear stories of people, <clears throat> Justin Briley, who appear to pin their their Christianity onto an, uh, a single experience that they had. I did that, and look what happened to me. Right, and especially when that experience is, you know, your hormonal teen rage garbage i mean yeah. honestly you should doubt everything <laughs> in, your, in your teens because your entire biology is serving to lie to you about everything now it's not it's not all bad it's just so unreliable and this is why the car accident rate of people between ages 16 and 25 are always the highest their 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 yeah. hormones are raging their judgment is terrible but they don't know any of that yeah. no they don't know and they think that they are operating at the highest level they are not <laughs> and so things that you know happen their experiences that happen during that time often become the stuff of legends because you know they're saying but this happened to me i know it happened and, and what you want to say is here, take this book. <laughs> I want you to read this book about adolescence. <laughs> yeah. I was... Wait, guys, for a, a moment, there's a similarity between your two stories that I find really, really fascinating. And, and you might be thinking, what could that possibly be between those two stories? But, but here it is. David, your wife at the time was with you in the hospital. Yes. And, and Matthew, there were people all around you, even if we can't name them to today for whatever reason. And and so the, the fascinating similarity is, Matthew, you saw an angel, you know, or, or what it, at, the, at the time appeared to be, right? Yeah. And and there, But there were people there. I'm guessing that the next Sunday, uh, nobody was standing up in the middle of church and saying, I saw an angel when Matthew was being exercised, no. right? And, and David, your wife at, at the time didn't come back to you and say, you know, this is this is a human altering event. We visited the antechamber of hell together. It's one of those interesting things about storytelling uh, that if we knew the conditions of the time when legends are created, there very well might be these kinds of details that make it fall apart, right? Because what we don't have is uh, Matthew an independent witness from your event saying, actually yeah. we were in the we were in the presence of holy royalty, right? Mm -hmm. or, or David, in, in your case, your wife saying, we visited the antechamber of hell 
and we need to take serious stock in that. And, and so it's interesting to me, very often in legend and myth, what we don't have that is, to me, often the most important part of the story. It, it actually strikes me that my vision was much closer to true than um, Matt's most likely was because I was on fire. I had I had a my, my temperature was over 105 at the time. Um, oh, yeah, that's bad news. Terry. Yeah, I was I mean, I, I was uh, I was in the antechamber of hell. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> that probably informed the what vision it was that your brain gave you. Yeah, the uh, context of your body. It would be very hard to conjure up a heavenly vision where I'm still on fire. Yes. (laughs) So so the reality was I was burning up on the inside. And um, that's that's the kind of vision that that you're going to get. And the reality for you is you were at a church where they cast out demons. And in fact, they probably, you know, part of their identity they looked forward to seeing a demon from time to time. You know, uh, uh, imagine uh, for uh, for a moment the the life of the Pope's exorcist. You know, the the chief guy, the the head exorcist guy. Imagine how shitty his life would be if there were no demon possessions. Yeah, he has to look forward to demon possessions, yeah. and if he if he doesn't get any. You've got to question his whole existence, right? And so anyone who is a part of this kind of um, uh, a demon workflow (laughs) kind of thing, you got to find some demons somewhere. And so this church obviously had this kind of procedure, and they looked for people who might fit the bill of something that they could call a demon possession so that they could do this from time to time. Because if, if they went without doing it for too long, then the questions would be, well, has, has God taken our power away or was none of this stuff real? And, and so I hate that you were kind of a part of that. It's really easy to see how, uh, how that happens. Yeah. It's Uh, yeah. And just get, picked up and carrying on with the excitement of the event and uh, mm-hmm. go with the flow, so to speak. Yes. So you've got a story, Matthew. Yeah, so talking of, yeah, legend. So I sent you guys uh, an email with a couple of links in, or several links in. Were you able to check out any of those links? Oh, no. There was homework. There there's, it's my show. Of course there's preparation uh... to do. So that's just, why I even just said like links below, <laughs> just like in school, just I, like I school. didn't do my homework. <laughs> so there's, but so I'm really I, good on tests. <laughs> <laughs> so look, for the last two weeks, I've been on holiday in Wales, and I went to two places in Wales, each of which have quite nationally famous legends around them. So I'll go for the second one first because that's. A, shorter amount of time there's nothing supernatural involved to it but it's an interesting story in and of itself and then we can do some meat on the other one because that one's going to take longer and we can run out the show on that one so the first one it's uh, the legend uh, of Gellert the, the dog there's a village in Wales town in Wales even called Bedgellert as we say it in England or as I've been corrected it's apparently it's pronounced Bethgellert even though it's got a double d in it and in a nutshell, the story uh, around Gellert 
is I think it's 13th century thereabouts that this story is supposed to have happened. There's a local prince or lord or, or somebody who's got a home got a, and he's got a young child with him, too young to walk. So it's baby effectively. And he leaves the baby at home alone with his dog Gellert and goes off hunting. And he's delayed hunting. Don't know how long he takes, whether it's hours or days. But anyway, he comes back from his hunt and he finds his properties. Uh, there's been some kind of commotion at his property. There's blood around. There's uh, fur or hair uh, around. His baby is not where it's supposed to be. And there's his dog and his dog has got blood over it. So he immediately assumes that his dog has devoured his baby and uh, he dispatches the dog as punishment. I guess that's what you do when your dog has eaten your baby. Seems reasonable. So that happens. He then hears the baby crying and he looks and finds the baby hidden safe, you know, in a cupboard or you know, under the stairs or, or somewhere re out of the way behind something, but safe. Uh, and so he's obviously distraught at what he's done unthinkingly. And not far away from the house, he finds uh, the body of a very large wolf. And he realises that what's actually happened is the wolf has come into the home. His beloved dog, Gellert, has hidden his baby somewhere safe and then dispatched the wolf as a good guard dog would. And has been waiting for his master to come back home and has got an unjust reward as a result. And so distraught at having done this, this lord uh, plants a prominent grave for Gellert in a field. And there is now in the middle of a field in this town of Beth Gellert, a tree with a plaque underneath it, briefly telling the story that I've just told to Gellert. And nearby is a small stone hut built out of stone is probably about the size of a room that we would consider these days and inside this hut is a statue of a dog presumably Gellert. So that's the story in a nutshell I'm sure if you went searching on the internet you'd find a few more details about that. So my first question is how much of that story do you actually believe? My first question is who names their dog Gellert? But <laughs> it's Wales don't question the names you know okay. take them very seriously. I okay, probably right. pronounced it not very well, and so I apologise to anybody who knows a better way to pronounce it. So it's an interesting story because there's not too much in it that seems out of the realm of possibility. I mean, maybe depending on where the baby was supposedly hidden, right? Um, even even dogs of that time didn't have opposable thumbs, so so you know hiding it in a cupboard, maybe or maybe not. Um, but protecting the child from a wolf, that certainly seems in character for a dog. Um, uh, mistaking the blood of a wolf on Gellet for the blood of a baby doesn't seem, doesn't seem impossible. Um, and, and maybe discovering the wolf's body later isn't impossible and putting all the things together but man you, you add all of these things into a story and um it for me 
it just seems a little too too. So, yeah. I so my question would be um how how would you even begin to uh fact check any of those details? And I, I'm not saying that it's not true. The whole thing could be true, as Andrew said. There's nothing that's impossible in that story, maybe some impossibilities here and there, but the the problem for me and the thing that sends my skeptic senses tingling yeah. is that the story is too useful. So even if it was made up from whole cloth, it's still a great story and it's very useful and it has a great moral about not jumping to conclusions. And so as a piece of total mythology, it's fantastic and it has nothing but upside as an outcome. And so it's a little too conveniently fantastic uh, and so it, it makes me just wonder how much or if any of it is true. None of it has to be true for it to have its positive outcome. Uh, and so I think that's one that I just would withhold judgment for. I'd say it's it's a great story. It's a poignant story. I would watch that in a Disney movie and cry halfway through it every time. But then again, that's the kind of thing that makes me think, yeah, there's, there's probably more myth than memory to the story here's the thing that's really bothering me the the listeners will think i'm just being a little too analytical a little a little too uh, demanding about the details that sort of thing but let let's say that this uh, that this dog owner really wasn't was a hunter right and and so maybe that's how he supports his family right uh and and so Maybe the maybe the wolf's body is out the back door, right? And and he comes in the front door. Okay, so we can explain away um, not finding the wolf, though. Well, I'll I'll get to that in a second. But but he's a hunter of the time. Surely he's familiar with wolves of the time. Mm-hmm. If there's if there's fur around, one of the things that I think I would anticipate is that a hunter, uh, someone who actually, and and I've known some real hunters, David, you have too, because we grew up in the South where people really do hunting. These people are are very often quite remarkable at identifying the signs of different kinds of animals. And so it seems a little, I'm, I'm skeptical that he wouldn't see and know the difference between his dog's fur and wolf fur if indeed the dog, if this fight is supposed to be demanding, right? There's blood everywhere. And and presumably, uh, you know, you have to get through the fur <laughs> to, to get to the blood, right? I'm yeah. just thinking. Um, and you'd have thought that somebody with that kind of mindset would actually do a bit more diligence before dispatching the faithful family dog. But maybe, he, you know, he's emotionally distraught because he, in his mind, he's thinking, oh, my kid is dead and so you know some of that gets a little short-circuited i I suppose that can happen um yeah but i mean to to me the more likely scenario and once again this is there's a fine line between skepticism and cynicism uh, and this is probably crossing over into the cynicism territory but when i hear a story like that uh you know i can concentrate on the oh that's a really poignant story uh with a really fine moral but what probably really happened 
is that the guy was out drinking uh, and hunting as hunters do because we do know hunters and they do a lot of drinking while hunting. And they come and he comes home and he thinks he sees a wolf and he shoots first and thinks later and oh my god it's the family dog and now I've got to explain this to the missus and, and the other kids and so here's a story um, and I'll plant this field here and it's going to be all right and so he got away with it. <laughs> yeah. Although remember it's 1300, so shoot his bow and arrow right. at best. There's right. no gunpowder okay. involved. Okay, great. So he's, I mean, he's got his bow. He's still drinking. Uh, drink is still drink in that time. <laughs> yeah, but now he has to hit two wolves instead of one. Right. So, so the dad comes in, and, and this one really bothers me too. So we, we've all been around younger children, babies, infants, that sort of thing. Um, uh, I've, I've still got uh, a four-year-old at home right now. And, and so if you come in and just forgive me for thinking that parents of the 1300s are somewhat similar to us today. Okay, so just, just allow me that latitude for, for the rest of this. So you come in, you have a live dog, a lot of blood. Um, is the first thing you think, oh, my child is dead? I mean, where is the part of the story where he says, I, I have no idea what the child's name is so he's he's screaming joe 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 where are you joe 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 and there's no noise from the child but yet the child is close enough to relatively right away be found at least that's the way i hear the story right and and so i'm i question that too because when parents are upset and, and again, just allow me the latitude that, that people of the 1300s are somewhat similar to us today. When parents are upset, children are upset. If, if my daughter hears panic in my voice, she becomes panicked too. And, and so I just wonder, where's the story of the dad screaming and looking for the child and the, and the child crying out? Because presumably the child's been alone, right? The child's got to be scared too. He hears this commotion of the dog killing the wolf that can't be a an easy thing to anyway uh you, you see the point and i'll leave it i'll leave it there so i gotta take one more swing at this uh, it's cute that you thought this would be the short one um i gotta so i the my last swing at this might uh, actually apply to the next one too i didn't do my homework um is that uh we always should probably have a little bit of skepticism, uh, even with believable stories, when yeah. there is only one witness. Yeah. Uh, so in this case, this story cannot be corroborated. There's no way it can be corroborated. Uh, so even if you find a body of a wolf, he could have gone out and killed a wolf. Uh, place probably lousy with wolves. So no one actually knows what he saw when he got home and so the whole thing relies on this one person's reliability um and so if we if we turn that to religion just uh, just a hair and we look at something like the virgin birth there's only one person who could actually uh corroborate that story and that's the one who told it mary we have no way of corroborating it uh, another example would be Abraham. God tells Abraham, you got to cut off the tip of everybody's dicks. Uh, so everybody does that on the word of one guy. 
are you kidding me? Um, you know, religious religious stories often hinge on you know some part of that, some important part of that story often hinge on one witness, and the one with the less uh, the more credulous mindset, the less skeptical mindset, hears the story and says, "Well, there's no reason to lie about that, right?" And the more skeptical person says, so we're getting this from one guy and no witnesses and no way to corroborate it. And you want me to believe what again? Yep. Matthew, was your daughter the way my daughter is? If if she had heard you screaming, would she have responded to you? Yeah. From a very young age, she recognized my voice and would respond to my voice. If she'd heard you panicking, would she have? Yeah. Probably. Probably, yeah. Um, I don't believe a word of this story, flat out. I don't believe it. Yes, I'm with you guys. There are elements, if you take them out individually, there is believability and plausibility in the individual elements. I don't believe any of it as a as a story. I think the entirety is fiction. In fact, I'll go further and say, I think the the, the fiction came after. I think somebody later made the story people talking down the pub and i think those allegedly involved if they existed at all are not the source of the story i think the story came later and there are various things which are very problematic for me for the story one of which is why are there only two characters in the story this prince which is i think what it says on the gravestone i think it's a prince not just any old hunter you know but somebody of kind of nobility why is it only him and the baby you know somebody of any kind of nobility they'd have been family around you wouldn't go hunting on your own you go hunting with a party you know you wouldn't have left the baby alone not somebody like that so that aspect of the story immediately for me makes everything else unbelievable as part of a package it's just can't be accepted as truth under uh, any kind any sense of uh, reality it's it's a it's a legend it's a myth that nothing more than that so that is problematic for me the other one is when you stand there looking at the shack of a building which this dog is in this isn't a building that you would expect a prince to have. maybe a hunter mm. that is believable a hunter with a wife and maybe their first child and maybe the wife died in childbirth that is a possibility of a stereo but somebody would be looking after the baby. Come on, even then, somebody would have been looking after the baby because the dog would have come on the hunting trip with, surely. So, yeah, and, and there's way too much. That just there could exist. have been some mystery, uh, some mystery at some point. You know, maybe a yeah. maybe a man uh, came home and found his dog dead, you know, yeah. one day. And there's a mystery and people at the pub, you know, start talking it up story, and yeah. over a over a half a year and yeah. uh, that, you know, the various explanations become legend. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure that's going. And it's a high tourist point, that village. This story brings visitors to the area. So who knows? Maybe somebody literally made it up to bring people. That's not impossible either. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the important thing about this story that's different from religious stories, in case someone uh, accuses me of uh, false, uh, it, 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 false, f- anyway, whatever the <laughs> words I'm trying to say are, um, uh, 
no one has to believe in this story of Beth Geller, right? No, no one is, um, there's no consequences whether the story is true or not and whether you believe it or not. But religious stories, there are supposedly consequences to it. And you have to make a decision uh, on uh, imprecise information, whether to believe it or not. And so there's a lot more pressure to believe religious uh, myths and legends than it is to believe stuff like this. Because at the end of the day, we can have a pint at the bar and, uh, you know, but to add another stanza to the song and it doesn't really matter. Yeah, absolutely. And with that one laid to rest, the other story, much, much bigger story, St. David. Now, St. David is the patron saint of Wales. And I can't remember the year now we're going back. So David was born in a very traumatic scenario. So David's mother, also a saint, St. Non, and I visited this place again on my holiday. So St. Non found herself pregnant. Some versions of the story say that she was raped and some versions of the story identify who it was who raped her. Some versions of the story don't mention the rape. So anyway, St. Non found herself pregnant. She obviously wasn't St. Non at the time. So Non found herself pregnant. She gave birth during a storm in a field or near some rocks. And then this is where it starts to get weird. She gripped a rock in the pain of childbirth, leaving her fingerprints on the rock with such force was she gripping the rock. And then out of sympathy for her pain, the rock split open. And also during the storm, there was a lightning strike and I've been to this spot and the lightning strike created a well in the ground. And I've been and I've seen that well and yep, there's some very nicely laid paving slabs right next to the edge of the well, and you can stand there and look at this fresh water. And that is the story of the birth of St. David from St. Non. There is more to it than that. Some versions of stories say that Non never had any form of intercourse again afterwards. So apart from that traumatic moment, was essentially a virgin. And... Uh, David apparently also did miracles if you go and read some version of the story, but I'm mostly concerned around the birth narrative, which is the place that I visited and the place with some quite a few interesting details around it. How much of those details are you prepared to believe? Uh, so how many people can corroborate the main parts of this story, the necessary parts of the story? Um, yeah, yeah. One, well, one to zero. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. Uh, you've got fantastical so false equivalency is the thing that I was trying to find a, a little bit ago. So yeah, you've got this story, this fantastical event that maybe you don't dismiss immediately because skepticism is not cynicism. But you know, it's a really fantastical event. And so, how did we corroborate this again? Uh, who can corroborate the main details of the story? Somewhere between one and zero people. And that is simply not enough to declare faith in the story. Yeah. One of the things that uh, bothers me about this story, so it's, it's got this, this sort of corroborating event, right? This whale bothers me. How deep is the whale? 
the water that I saw immediately, it's only a few inches, but there is a there is a rock there where it looks like the this main seepage of the water comes out from. So it may well go deeper there, but it was out of view. So what I could see was only a few inches. Okay, all right. So lightning strikes can be violent. I was I was picturing a well that's uh, you know yeah, you, you, measured in. You count, yeah, you drop a coin and you count the seconds. Yeah, no, we're not that, talking that, that kind of well. So that, okay, so now I'm thinking more of a of a cistern than a think than a well. more spring than well. Yeah. to be quite okay. honest. Gotcha. So then the lightning strike. Let, let's say let's say that the lightning strike in the well and that whole thing is true. Uh, let's let's just say that that that's an event that took place in close proximity. At the very most, all we have is an odd coincidence, because lightning strikes happen, right? Well, so yeah, but a lightning strike on the day of your birth during that storm and causing a well. Come on. Oh, oh, I okay. You know what? I get it. That moon landing, all that was a very special event for all the people born on that day. How many how many people who tell the story claim to have been a witness to it? None. Right. So uh, we've got no we've, we've, we're still down to zero witnesses. And it sounds like, you know, let's say there was a lightning strike, you know, a stone and there's a shallow well. Big, big whoop. And oh, can you imagine someone may have been born that night, too? Wow, that's that's amazing. Um, you know, I just, I don't, you, you have to be in a kind of a, the right mindset, I guess, to hear the story and hear something really supernatural there that, that you could hang on to. It, it all either sounds very natural to me, or it sounds like if something happened that somebody talked about and that nobody re remembers and is long dead, uh, that it got embellished you know, into something that's supernatural, because that's our experience with supernatural things. Mm -hmm. uh, if they're real things at all, they start off very natural, kind of like legends. They start off very natural. George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, these good men, if not great, but their legend is bigger than their actual humanity. Hey, dude, uh, at this point. One of those guys killed vampires. One of those guys hunted vampires. You just I wasn't remember. talking about that part. That is, <laughs> Hang you on, can find wasn't that Abraham in Lincoln a vampire hunter? Right, yes, vampire, absolutely. Right? Uh, and I, I recommend you read that particular biography. It's called Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. Right. It's very good. So let me see if I can save this story from a time after David's birth. Right. So he's the patron saint of Wales, right? Yeah. Okay. So... And this is it. That that's your motivation straight away. You know, he's our patron saint. Right. OK, we need to make him really, really special. Right. How do we right. do that? <gasps> Add some really special things to his birth narrative <gasps> because no one in history has ever done that. <gasps> and then let's make his mother always be a virgin apart from that bit. <gasps> wow. So unique. Yeah. Right. And 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 it's uh it's even more fantastic if she, if she was from Wales and she, okay never mind I I just, I just I just leave that alone um okay so is there something after his birth that makes him special are there miraculous events 
attributed to him that we can that we can chase down where it makes the story of his birth this miraculous set of events more likely than not because in actual fact there are miraculous events that follow him later there are sam i don't know any of them off the top of my head because i didn't read this far into the detail when i was researching because i was purely interested around the birth story because that was a mm. bit that really interested me but there are a few links now see if i can find some for the show notes which talk about miraculous events that are attributed to saint david but i yeah. haven't read through them so i can't throw any examples at you for That's this fair. conversation to be a saint uh you have to have your own mac- miraculous event so saint nun uh right. you know virgin birth but that doesn't help saint david he's got to have his own miraculous oh, no, she wasn't no. virgin birth they say that she was either raped or had a liaison i so see that okay. would be miraculous right would um, not okay so the the thing about sainthood and uh to, to chase this down a little bit uh because brian i uh is out uh, out there to smack me about the head and shoulders if i don't uh mention this you can find that on so, the website too folks well, Brian's uh, David. Yep. <laughs> different website. That's the pay. Uh, that's the pay site. Um, I, I, we're not talking is about that. Is that another righteous <laughs> injection? Is it? I'm just I'm just gonna no, walk away. Happens before the righteous injection is. <laughs> um. So okay. uh, the the saint the whole saint making process requires there to be miraculous events, and so uh, the Catholic Church has a motivation to find miraculous events because how embarrassing uh, is it for a church to have no saints for you know an extremely long period of time you've got to have some saints just like uh, demon hunters have to have demons right and so uh, part of the sainthood process is you've got to identify at least one and maybe even two uh, miracles i don't know what the canonization process is uh, these days but you've got to have some verifiable miracle and so the vatican has people they have a department for this to verify miracles so someone claims that you know there's someone that they want to be a saint that somebody wants to be a saint maybe they've chosen someone that wants to be a saint but they've got to find a miracle and so you know they scour to and fro uh naturally someone's going to have a story there's going to be a story somewhere but the vatican in their due diligence they have you know this department of people who goes out then and investigates the miracle to make sure that it's real you see brian i said it the problem is who investigates the investigators because the whole complex of the catholic organization has a built-in incentive to find saints and therefore to find miracles it's sort of worse than that, isn't it? Because so you asked the right question, who verifies the verifiers? Today, we really don't need a verification department, right? Uh, why? Because everybody carries a verification device in their pocket. You know, oh, is, is that your verification device or are you happy to see me? Okay. <laughs> why can't it be both? This, this podcast does not in, endorse Twitter as a verification device. <laughs> isn't that the truth? Ah. Oh. Uh, X, previously known as Twitter. Okay, hey, so they just uh, got two more X's to go before I'm interested in. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, 
uh, I've seen Elon Musk, and they're not going to earn their second X that way. That's all I can say. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. So, slap the right cheek hard and ride the wave in. <laughs> That's... That is somehow worse than anything that I've said on this podcast so far, and I don't even know what it means. But, but I'm going to ponder it now for the rest of the night. No, I'm not. Oh, no, no. I will drink myself into unconsciousness before I ponder that for the rest of the night. You can just, so, so cell phones. Um, we, we see quite extraordinary events today because everybody does carry a cell phone. We have battlefield footage from Ukraine. We have footage from a, a ceiling falling in at a, at a wedding in Iran. Yeah, I almost, uh, ran, uh, uh, I, I almost ran with that story and um, didn't, yeah. by the way. Did you, yeah. we've got our own lightning strike story in the UK. Have you not heard that news? Mm -mm. No. So yesterday, as in the day before today, funnily enough, there's two stories, one slightly more tragic than the other, but you know, oh, you, you can use your own judgment to determine which one you think is the more tragic one. Yeah. One is a recycling plant which stores the gases from you know, recycling stuff, got struck by lightning and one of the gas containers exploded quite massively yeah. as a result of the fire from the lightning strike. So lightning can do spectacular things. And coincidentally, the same day, a lad playing football on a field got hit by a lightning strike and is currently in hospital in critical condition. We're hoping he's going to survive, but right. it's, he's in a bad way. So the, the interesting thing is mm -hmm. that, um, first of all, I don't know if the UK is the same, Matthew, you'll have to, you'll have to tell me, but in the United States, we have lightning detectors on lots of cell phone towers and you know tall buildings that kind of thing and the reason is they allow us to triangulate really really well on exactly where uh, on exactly where a lightning strike occurs and so my point is that uh, when we claim some kind of lightning strike uh, today there's actually a body of data that we can look at to see if a, if lightning struck somewhere uh, David all of this to say that I wonder what you wonder who verifies the verifiers? And today, why do we need a miracle verification department, if, if you see what I mean? If, if, the, if the Catholic tradition is correct, uh, I want to know why, the, why YouTube isn't lousy with miracle verification. I can't imagine, actually, why you would only have miracles by these saints that would require verifiers that that isn't common knowledge and well documented uh you know by now and so i guess this is a god moves in mysterious ways kind of thing but even if even if the people who work in that department aren't jaded you know and are doing the best they can they are still working inside of a tradition kind of like the the demon uh uh, extra, the exorcists, they work inside of a tradition where they have to believe that these things are happening and they have to find them. 
And so they they believe that that God has put them in a special place and circumstances to see the thing that other people didn't see and wouldn't have been able to see. And it, I imagine it's the same with these miracles. They go out and they do their research and, you know, maybe they have some degree of skepticism, but they are inside of a complex that requires them to find it. And so they do. Why isn't this department peopled with the press skeptics? Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, scientists, why do we have churchmen who mind the miracle department instead of with people that, you know, whose pronouncements a broad, broad variety of people could, could believe? Sure. I, can, I am so made that I don't think I could ever believe a pronouncement that comes out of a Catholic miracle detection department. There's something good in there because we do have journalists who are brave enough to go along with military detachments in wartime, right? And in fact, they, they're war journalists. These are, these are real people that, that take their lives into their own hands uh, to let us know the worst side of humanity, where, where we're killing each other for uh, quite extraordinarily bad reasons. Where is the miracle verification department that is reaching out to open journalism organizations and uh you know the the miracle chasers right we have tornado chasers right where's our little miracle chaser van and and uh they just bring uh you know the next pool of reporters whoever they are along for miracle verification and, and where is the catholic church's uh document uh, documentation on this i don't mean just things that the reporters wrote down i mean at this point video cameras and such where is that documentation here's our miracle department and here's what they've been looking at for the last 20 years because we've had the ability to document it this way for at least that long uh longer actually i just don't understand why there needs to be an element of faith applied to something like this. And so for me, any any kind of legend that requires me to have some element of faith, mm-hmm. I think I'm going to always be skeptical about yeah. it, even if it's something that could, like like uh, the Geller, could, could possibly happen. A lot of that requires me to take a bunch of stuff on faith, and I have no good reason to do that. When you're sending a journalist... Why isn't Neil deGrasse Tyson on call with the verification team? He'd go. Oh, yeah. He'd, he'd, he'd go. go. Dawkins would go. Expenses paid. I'd go. Yeah. I mean, I, you know what? I think I would even pay my own expenses to go oh, with oh, the yeah. miracle detection team of the of the Vatican to sort out the miracles of a saint. I think I would I would get a know, story out of that. <laughs> I would get a more, book out of that. More than I'd pay my own way. I would actually happily contribute to a fund to send Neil deGrasse Tyson or to send Sean Carroll. Pick anybody at NIST. Pick uh, pick anybody at you guys over in the UK have a a well known lab for doing nanotech stuff, Matthew. Uh, and, I, I pick and Darren Brown. He'd be able to yeah. spot yeah. your yeah. your sleight yeah. of hand tricks from raise up away. James Randy and uh, go with Darren Brown, the dead dead Randy and uh, live Brown, and I'd, I'd take that combo any day. I'm suspicious that the saints that the Catholic Church picks all seem to be people who, in life, had some kind of 
notoriety or some kind of public face. They were mm. known people. You know, why can't an ordinary person do a miracle after death and become sainted? Why are these miracles always being associated with these well-known, notorious people who during life? It just seems hey, weird. Man. There was that lady down in Florida that had that toast with Jesus's face on it. She was nobody till she sold that toast for thirty thousand dollars. <laughs> well, that's a miracle. <laughs> I thought you were going to go with the tow lady. Oh, I don't know the Excuse tow me? lady. Yeah, tell me. Do I want to know this? Did you guys you miss that? On the, the lady whose toe sort of maybe almost just a tiny little bit grew back? in a prayer what? thingy it was months ago it was big no. big news how did okay. you guys miss that okay i don't know okay what tell me tell me the story what, what are we talking about here it's a lady with actually the story is actually quite traumatic mm-hmm. to be to be fair she, she's got quite a sad life story and because i've heard heard it told on, on another podcast because people just swooned over it but in a gun-related incident with an ex-husband, she lost a bit of a toe. Mm-hmm. I think the nail part of the toe. So the toe is not a full toe. And there was some kind of prayer meeting at church. And if I'm remembering right, she said she looked down at her foot and her toe grew back a little bit. So she's still not got a whole toe, but she's got more toe than she did before. Okay, I don't know which way to go with this story at all. Now, I mean, now I'm just confused. How can you not, look, just Google Toe Lady and the whole thing will come up? It's that just, is not what comes up did when I, Google Toe Lady. Uh, not at all, by the way. Kids, don't do not do that. Don't Google that. Uh, so, uh, did a miracle happen or a half a miracle i mean is this a is this a working from god or working from the devil because the devil might say you know what i'm just going to give you a little bit back just to drive you mad or is it god saying uh, okay that's worth about three quarters of a miracle yeah. uh what is i mean what, how does how does this get spun into some kind of happening from god at all yeah, kids, do not Google Toe Lady. I just do not do that. I just didn't. Don't. Care. No, that's not okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna turn off my video here just a moment okay. for Maybe totally innocent reasons. Like um, so, <laughs> here's oh what I want. <laughs> okay, no, I'm back. <laughs> if I can find it, link in the show notes, listeners. You know me, always there's always links in the show notes. That's yes. what I do. So, okay, Toe Lady, how do we, you know, I I have to ask the question again. So it's prayed for, and she says, oh, it grew back a little bit. Well, did, were the measurements taken? Uh, Did did someone look at it and say, yeah, that does seem to have grown back. Uh, Here's the measurements for what it was before, and now you got this cuticle back and you didn't have that? I mean... How, what, how much how, how much rigor was put in this? What is God, okay, I mean this. I, I know that we're all going to laugh. I can't help it. It's not my fault. It, it is funny. What is God telling you if he only gives you part of your tongue back? I, look, at that point, I'm sticking a middle finger up at God. I'm burning a Bible on the way out. <laughs> and I, and I 
I don't know how that at all how that engenders faith. <laughs> you can have you can have you have part of he you sort of deserve to get shot in the foot, but not that much. Giving <laughs> you part of you know, here's my recompense. You you get a percentage of he could heal the whole thing. But he just doesn't feel like it. He just <laughs> he just doesn't like you that much. The song wasn't that good. You were a bit pitchy. Uh, so there a voice in her head like I owe you, right? There's an I owe you for the rest of the toe. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. By the way, I, I'm sorry to, to get off of here. I, I, I am. I am not making fun of this lady. If she had a traumatic life, I believe that that's awful. And not not having fun at her expense. I am I am specifically having fun at the expense of the story because it's a dumb story. It it is a dumb. It's, I I'm sorry. <laughs> you got to be able to make fun of something in this story. I mean, you this is a ridiculous story, and I believe in ridiculing the ridiculous. So whoever the ridiculous is in this story, I ridicule thee. Uh, so, there, so there it is. Because God gave me a... You guys don't know about this already. Oh, no. oh well. And, no, and, no. And, and, I, I, I guess I don't move in those circles. The person with stage four cancer that's sitting two pews behind her and is probably on oxygen <laughs> and uh, is on a fixed income and in danger of losing his or her house and is driving the, the, the ratty 20 year old vehicle that they can barely keep on the road uh, and and is reading a Bible that's falling apart because they can't buy a new one and is suffering because, you know, three Sundays out of four, they're shut in because their their health is so bad they can't get to church. And their husband and, shot the dog because he came right. in from hunting drunk. <laughs> Right. But, um, but that person, that person gets, she gets part of her toe back. And, and by the way, I mean, you think I'm exaggerating. I don't know. I have never been to a church in my life that didn't have people who were in desperate need of, of more than a toe. And it's surely there that person that Andrew is uh, thinking of must be saying at some level, you could have taken just a little bit of my cancer away and it would have made right. a big difference right you take a little bit of her toe away and it changes nothing right <laughs> so. okay now she in fact it's a, it's a detractor it, it doesn't help because now she has to use more toenail polish yep <laughs> i'm i'm not gonna i'm not gonna enjoy that that's that's too far that's uh <laughs> Oh, now it's so far. But <laughs> but I do I do believe that this might become the fodder of one of my shorts. So, so, so that's what you do with your shorts. Okay. <laughs> oh, I tell you what, the piece that was missing is small enough that a baby could bite it. Oh. Yeah, this is the sign that the show is over. <laughs> this is, I, I'm looking up. I see the building is burning, and a hundred of my closest friends are you screaming in pain. It's time to go. It's it's funny. Yeah. It's funny that you're now saying it's over. 
Yep, dear listeners, this is what happens when the three of us delay getting together. This is why you need to put your hand in your pocket and pay us so that we can do this on a more regular basis, because then you'll get better sensibility and less senility. And at the least, you'll get a good time with your hand in your pocket. So, I mean, <laughs> it couldn't hurt. <laughs> you, yep. you beat me to that one. That was, there's a website for that, folks. Uh, yeah, it's called SoLady.com. Yep, everybody uh, plays billiards with their hands in their pockets. So, oh. you know, that's so, fine. Uh, so, uh, look, uh, in all, <laughs> I should not say anything in all seriousness at this point. You're right. It, it uh, it occurred to me way, way back when we um, started talking about serious things, which I, I believe was your uh, demon uh, possession uh, story, uh, Matt. That no, no, laugh it, laugh at it, please. That's it. Deserves no, it. I, I, it. I mean, I would love to. I, the thing that came to mind at the time that I thought nah, I can't find a good place for it, and so I'll stick it here. Is the church? It's a righteous insertion. Just go with it. The church. They pray for people all the time, especially that church. And so they would also have the ability to just pray that God protect their people from demon possession. There should never need to be an exorcism. In fact, the Catholic Church, largest denomination in the world, why not just pray that God protect all people from demon possession? Or does it not work that way? Why not just pray that all Catholics be protected from all demon possession? Or does it not work that way? Why not pray that all the children of Catholics be protected from demon possession? Or is it does it not work that way? We know that it doesn't work that way in the same way that it doesn't work for you to pray. Uh, may no one in this congregation get cancer because you've already got two people on the uh, near the front row who have cancer. And you know that yeah. that prayer doesn't work. But it seems like just another one of those falsifiable type things that if the church actually believed they had the kind of power to deal with this kind of stuff, they would just pray and they would expect it to be gone. Instead, they pray and they hire exorcists. That's very what, incongruous to me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What I think is offensive about this story, and, and I really mean offensive now, this is this is offensive. It should offend, it should offend every critical thinker on the planet, including the the Christians, both of them who are critical thinkers. Okay, okay, sorry. Uh, Bridge okay, I know, I know, I know. Just just leave it. The thing that is offensive about this story is that you have the all powerful, almighty God, the shaper and changer of the universe, the the being who winds the very gears of existence. And that being shows its power through re, through partial regeneration of a toe. That should offend everyone listening. And if it doesn't, the three of us here are not the problem. You are the problem, and you should be part of the solution because a God that can change the future of humanity, who doesn't, but gives a woman back a partial toe, is worthy of your condemnation and your ridicule. And if you don't heap it on that being, shame on you. Also, I will. <laughs> you can stop Sorry, me I didn't mean to by doing it yourself. 
<laughs> Matthew, I'll leave that as my clothes, I think. <laughs> Matt, thank you. Uh, thank you for having me. I appreciate that. Life has been challenging for me lately in ways that are not worth detailing, but it's nice to have these moments to concentrate on other things, lighter things. Uh, and so I very much appreciate that. And uh, for all of the people who have provided for me their thoughts and more thoughts, I consider more valuable than a billion prayers. Uh, so thanks much. And uh, I'm still doing what I do. Thank you, David. Always a pleasure having you on. I'm sorry it's been so long. I continue to enjoy your wisdom and your wittiness and certainly for this evening your unrighteous insertion of humor has been greatly appreciated and with that dear listeners have a great one and until next time be reasonable. you have been listening to a podcast from reason press do you have any thoughts on what you've just heard do you have a topic that you would like us to cover please send all feedback to reasonpress at gmail.com. You might even appear on an episode. Our theme music was written for us by Holly. To hear more of her music, see the links in our show notes.